Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. So before we get back to the episode, Mark and I want to provide some context. David and I want to let everyone understand why we do what we do. Think about what a brand actually is. It's what others say about you and your organization after you leave the room. And we want to protect that reputation. Data breaches literally destroy brands that have been around for generations. We've seen it with our own eyes. When trust is broken, brands are severely damaged and often irreparably. If you take pride and joy in your brand, which you should, because it's everything that matters, then take the necessary steps to protect it from cyber threats. A data breach is a breach of trust. So come talk to us at All Covered. We have a national footprint with local offices to help keep your brand in business. It's your brand. Protect it. Brandology Podcast is available everywhere you get your podcasts. And as always, please don't forget to subscribe, follow, and download. Thanks for listening. And now let's begin. All right. Welcome to uh, Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, David Morrow. I hope everyone's doing well today. Uh, In the studio today, uh, we have uh, my co-host, Mark Mosher. Mark, how are you? Hey, what do you say, David? I'm doing okay. How are you doing today? We've had a busy week already. I'm doing really well. I'm doing yeah, really well. Good. Well, good. So um, in our uh, studio today, we've gone across the pond to the uh, United Kingdom, and we are welcoming John Smythe. John, sir, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, great to be here. I'm uh, speaking speaking to you from uh, the depths of the English countryside in the county of Dorset. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's more different to where you are. <laughs> yeah, it is. I am. I'm speaking to you from the countryside of Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Um, well, we're we're excited to have you, and we we appreciate you uh, being here today. Um, uh, Mr. Smythe is a well-known author on female leadership and female entrepreneurship. Um, he's written a best-selling book on the subject, and we want to learn more and uh, uh, to find out more. So, uh, without further ado, Mr. Smythe, could you just start from the top? Tell us kind of who you are, what you're doing uh, currently. Okay, so who am I? That's a really good question. Yeah, I know. That's good. My mother and father came here from the Republic of Ireland in the very gray 1950s mm. that Britain was at that time after, after World War II. Uh, and like many others, they were looking for work. My father was a pilot and he joined the Royal Air Force and sadly was killed shortly after. Yeah, and so, right. yes, it was a, that was it was terrible for my mother. However, 
she uh, was determined to survive and became a housekeeper. And we spent um, my childhood wandering around the English countryside uh, being a housekeeper. Um, and it occurred to me years later, in back in 2017, on the anniversary of her passing, um, I, I, I was thinking about her and thinking about her in the context of uh, the female entrepreneurs and the book that I eventually wrote. And I was thinking she actually exhibited a lot of the qualities uh, and attitudes and behaviors that these female entrepreneurs uh, dis display. Um, and I th so in a sense, uh, I thought about writing this book with Ruth Saunders, who's my, our co-writer, um, as a sort of legacy to, to, to her. Had she been born a few decades later, I'm sure she probably would have been a female entrepreneur. But as it was, she was a social entrepreneur and kept me out of the hands of the state. So that's where, uh, that's where uh, this, this book originated. Um, and of course, what it gave me uh, as, as a background was a determination to, to do well in her honor as much as anything else and my father's honor. So I started a firm um, here, a consulting firm, having worked in the American oil industry uh, for 10 or 12 years, which was fantastic fun. It was the, at the height of the North Sea oil boom, which mm. at that time was the tech industry of its time. So to be part of oil way back then was you were right on the central stage and it was terrific. And I observed that um, the Americans took a lot of time to look after their employees. And I thought, I looked around and thought, there is no consultancy firm doing this stuff. Uh, so I went out and uh, busked my way around the ad agency and said, would you like to back me up? And the answer was a no. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so uh, I did it on my own and we built it up to 130 odd people located in London and Boston, USA. Um, uh, and that was a tremendous piece. And uh, our commercial edge was that we helped uh, organizations to improve their communication, which of course now is nothing new, but more particularly to engage their employees and their leaders in designing uh, change and uh, business strategy, a very bottom-up approach, which 20 plus years ago was very unusual. Well, so, so there really was. That was along the lines of, of the Benet Browns and the Simon Sinek's and the and the and the yes. Seth Godin's and 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 the and the people first management yes. style, right? Protect your people, and then they will give you more, yeah. right? As opposed to looking yeah. as, at them as, as an object to kind of wring as much out of them, right? It's yes, it's, okay. And this was twenty odd years ago. Well, that was more than yeah, yeah. That, that um, was absolutely cutting edge back then. Yeah, I, I started out when I was 33 and I'm in my 69th year. So it's it's it was that Fantastic. far back. Then it was really, and I got chucked out of a lot of boardrooms. Sure, so, because back then it wasn't, I mean, that was at the height of the boom years and that was in the height of of yeah. the of that, of the mentality of, you know, fixing the bottom line by cutting people and, you know, yeah. you know um, all of that, right? All of that macho talk about money. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Not, I mean, the else. problem is, is when they focus just on money and just on the short term, they actually hurt themselves financially. That's the issue, right? Like if you protect your people, the studies continuously show you protect your people, they actually generate more and produce more, right? And, and, and then not, that in turn helps the bottom line. It's, and it's not just protect. At the core of of employee engagement uh, is the, is the concept of sharing power, actively mm. sharing power, because that's what you're doing when you're when you're saying, um, come into the room with us and help us design this strategy. Come into the room with us and help us design this change program. Absolutely. Uh, th thereby, you are sharing power with whichever groups you, you select. And the key thing that 
that allowed it to take off was the reassurance that you, the executive group, need to decide uh, what only you and you alone uh, will decide, uh, as opposed to sharing power with others. And once once the group has done that, then they feel, okay, now we're comfortable. And in the course of that discussion, what happens is, when they think initially that they need to be in charge of this much, slowly, slowly, as they have a discussion, the amount that they've reserved for themselves shrinks and shrinks and shrinks uh, through that discussion. So that was, that was the kind of uh, philosophical base uh, for the thing. Excellent. And, and so now you, you, you've written a book and you've kind of taken that approach and you focused on female entrepreneurs. You have a book describing about 50, 50 some odd female entrepreneurs. You kind of go through them with case studies and now you have some some additional. I'm curious about getting your feedback about how COVID has affected female entrepreneurship. Um, it's funny yeah. to have okay. three middle-aged men talking about female entrepreneurship. But yeah, I, was gonna I say. think who better who better suited to actually talk about it than those in the room with all the men? You know what I mean? Like that's exactly. that's the way I, I view it. I, I get a lot of flack sometimes from females who who are like, "Well, who are you to talk about female leadership and everything else?" I'm like, "I'm in the room when you guys all leave. Like you need people like us, right, in the room so that we can make sure it's fair." Right, because in the in the at the end, oftentimes it's still many industries are still very male dominated, and after the women leave the room, men make the rules sometimes, and and that's why it needs to be fair. You need advocates in that space. So you've written well, a whole book on it. I've written a whole book, and it, it really came about because in my business, I mentioned we had 130 at its top. Um, I'd say 75 percent were women, and mm -hmm. so our our workplace culture was very feminine. And at the time, we didn't really kind of notice, note that it was largely speaking different to, let's say, most of, most of the clients, corporates, where actually males used right. to and still do, were very male cult work cultures. We had a very female culture. So the idea has been around in my head for a long time. It finally came to, uh, to roost, so to speak, in 2017, as I mentioned, when I jotted down the names of all the female entrepreneurs I knew. It came to 26, which was about double the number of males I knew. So at that moment, I thought something's really going on here, and we invited I invited them all to a, a dinner in the, in London at the Groucho Club, hmm. uh, which is a, it's a sort of celebrity hangout, really nice place to, to to go. And one of them said, "You really should write this book." So uh, I got hold of Ruth Saunders, I, mm -hmm. my co-author, a great friend of mine, and a marketing guru over here, and I think globally. Oh yeah, she, she, she's very well known. Yeah, right, yeah, very well known. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she said, "Yeah, I'd, I'd love, to, love to do that." And I think, uh, you know, without without her, without the two of us, it would, it would be half the book that uh, it would otherwise uh, have been. That's so, a uh, go ahead. So let me ask you this: um, in light of COVID, what have you yes. found? I mean, I, I I read some of you the information that you have sent to us, and it, it brings out some amazing statistics. How? You know, some of the hardest hit, hit sectors tend to have the most female employment percentages, right? And so COVID in many ways hit female workers much harder right. than male. So can you elaborate on that? You know, like some of the industries like retail, leisure, tourism, um, some of the Hospitality. Others. Yeah. Hospitality. Hospitality. I mean, it's being Absolutely. on the edge of being wiped out over here. Uh, it's, uh, it's desperate measures. And you're quite right. Uh, a lot more women than men in the workplace and when it comes to redundancy it appears and it is reported that uh, the women are taking the hammering uh, in, a, in a very uh, unequal unequal uh, uh, manner 
so when it comes to employers choosing between, let's say, a 30-year-old woman and a 30-year-old man, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the thought enters the head that actually, uh, who should we hold on to here? Uh, because we might be losing her anyway shortly, uh, which is a, a terrible indication that we haven't really advanced nearly enough mm -hmm. uh, in resetting the workplace model from being designed by men for men. Um, and you probably, I expect you know this, but uh, this, this book here, yeah, uh, Invisible, Invisible Women, which you, you must, which you must know, where who, and uh, Caroline sets out the case there for, for our man-made world being literally man-made <laughs> mm -hmm. and made for men with all kinds of examples uh, of, of how uh, that maleness um, makes it difficult uh, for, for women to, to operate. Uh, we, yeah, in, in, in your book, um, Female Entrepreneurs, The Secrets of Their Success, and we'll have a link to it in our story on our, on our website um, below this episode. Uh, but in it, you, you have several different examples but can you give us from some high level kind of trends that you see or common obstacles that female entrepreneurs face compared to male entrepreneurs? I mean, I've been an entrepreneur. Yes. I've, I've started and sold off two businesses and it was hard as it was. I can't even imagine some of the other obstacles being thrown in front of me like you brought up. Yeah. So uh, the kind of barriers which the, these 52 uh, talk about um, are things like trying to get investment funds. Uh, most women, most female startups uh, are self-funded through put, mortgaging their houses, family, friends, and so on and so forth. They find it very hard. Put yourself in the shoes of a woman going into an investment community. And there's one story in the book about an American woman uh, in Silicon Valley uh, who visited uh, no less than 60 uh, sources of funding, got turned down, and only got accepted in, on the la literally the last one as it was a female uh, uh, investor. Uh, rep represented so that that uh, tremendous that story really illustrates how just imagine how what it's like walking in as a woman and seeing i don't know 20 30 40 male figures and you are alone um and the the, the sorts of uh, the, the the telling statistics are around you know the, the the number of male entrepreneurs do much better in those situations even with pretty much the same idea uh, mm -hmm. the men will get way way more funding uh, than, than than the female. In fact, and that's uh, so critical at the in the entrepreneurial startup phase. Funding is what keeps the lights on, right? It's not about getting rich right away or anything like that. It's really no. about just sustaining and being able to get the resources you need to connect A to B in order for you to generate your end product, your end service, whatever. Yeah. So money is is one barrier, and the, the telling statistic: uh, just one percent of VC funding uh, goes to female. Uh, startups uh, only one percent one percent yeah holy crap 90 so, ni north of 91 percent goes to males and and the, the balance in the middle goes to male female uh teams still a tiny bit tiny percentage right still so, still yeah. a very small percent less than 10 percent even go to to co-gender teams yeah and, and the other the other investment story is that uh research shows that men typically uh back uh, as it were, boys' toys, um, and some some of these other what they see as esoteric products, um, like for postnatal depression, for example. One of our very successful employee, uh, female entrepreneurs found a fantastic solution to her own problem, and suddenly realised that millions of women around the world had the same thing. So money is 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 one. The second, uh, I think, is um, uh, is trying to find the balance between 
the enormous requirements of being a startup and possibly having a family as well. So one, there are incredible examples. Elizabeth Cowper is one. Mm -hmm. uh, at, the time, at the time of interview, uh, she was uh, HR director over here for uh, American fashion house coach, had a uh, an online startup on the side and was a single mother to three young children. Uh, wow. I mean, just, you know, take that. <laughs> and there are lots, there are lots like that. Show me the man that can that can do that. I don't think there are. No, not think, at all. I'm certainly not one of them. <laughs> Absolutely. So, hey, Mark, are you excited about this uh, 2021 Female Leadership Summit? Oh, David, this is going to be incredible. I can't wait. I am, I am really pumped about it. The 2021 Brandology Female Leadership Summit is going to be your opportunity to access a wealth of leadership insight from a world-class faculty we've put together, ready to equip and inspire you regardless of your field or industry. Yeah, so each chosen leader will provide a short you know, five to 10 minute presentation on culture, on leadership and practical ways to help you succeed. Um, there'll also be a panel discussion on hot topics. Uh, the belief is female leadership matters is more important today than ever before. Absolutely. That's why the 2021 Brandology Female Leadership Summit will give you access to this unique group of world-class faculty who will share their distinct perspectives, inspiring and equipping you with practical skills you can use right away. So don't miss the 2021 Female Leadership Summit only on Brandology Podcast. So subscribe and download the episodes to be notified of this upcoming event. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you. So the, so the second one is then finding enough time to do stuff. And a telling example from the book is that a lot of these women only hire, only hire other working women. Ah, okay. Because they know that they, they know how to balance their time. Uh, and that if they have to do stuff at three in the morning, that's when they do it. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's a, a very, quite a telling thing, I think, about uh, the, the practicality uh, of, of women. Uh, other barriers, um, I think, are just the pure prejudice of, uh, you know, how, the, the in, almost instinctive prejudice that, that, they, uh, that they run into, um, both in selling, being accepted uh, on, on equal basis. So I, I, there, are, there are many barriers which they speak over. But more importantly than the barriers, I think, is the incredible um, enthusiasm we got from each and every one of them. Uh, they don't, they don't, although they fail, they don't talk about failure very much. They talk about missteps and stepping stones uh, to some, somewhere else. Right. Uh, so they accept, they accept failure, but don't see it as a personal, as a personal sort of um, a personal disability. Right. They see it as, they see it as another opportunity to do this thing better and differently. Uh, so that, that kind of, that kind of enthusiasm comes across and the energy in each one of them. We would sit through two hours of interview and um, I would, and Ruth, I'm sure would say the same. You know, we've both sort of come out exhausted <laughs> <laughs> from being on the receiving end of this kind of this story pouring out. Uh, so, so what, what, are, what are some of the, how do female entrepreneurs, is there, how do they align themselves with the right people? Like, what have you found? Like the ones that succeeded, did they, what did they do differently than the ones that, that struggled more? 
a very strong theme from the book from the interviewees uh, is that, as it were, before they did anything, they sought to understand themselves. They sought to understand their strengths and their weaknesses, and they would consult others, their friends, their family, and say, be honest, tell me where I'm strong and where I need help from, from other people. And it takes quite a lot to actually accept that, you know, to that feedback, because quite a lot of them got surprises. Oh, I thought I was strong in this and nobody agreed with me. Right. Um, so, so having insight about strengths uh, uh, and therefore who else you need on board is really important. And the second part of understanding thyself is understanding your control needs. In other words, if, if it turns out you have very, very high control needs, then probably it won't work for you to have partners on, on an equal standing because uh, there's going to be rows and it might be better therefore if you have so let me let me let me dig into that yeah let me if you don't mind me interrupting you just for, on that point let me dig into that um what do you mean by control needs because that's something that is a male entrepreneur nobody ever talks about our control needs right and we certainly have them but women self-identify that you know i might have certain control needs that i need to keep moving on and so i need to play the game a certain way. Well, I, I think what was refreshing, and I, don't, I, I can't answer for men because we didn't interview them, uh, but a, a lot of these women went went through a very, a very personal, invasive self-assessment of both their strengths and their controlled needs, um, and based the model, the structure of their organisation on those controlled needs. So, in other words, if they were willing to delegate um, and share power with with others, that suggested them that they should have partners in the process and if not they should have associates uh, and and em em employees and of course having done that exercise in interviewing other partners or uh, employees they were also very clear to understand that potential partner that potential employees control needs so uh, if there was going to be a clash you could root that out or at least confront it uh, uh, early on uh, so i'm not sure if um, it's a very strong theme in the book and a very strong theme uh, in the in interviewees and i think the reason why they instinctively uh, did that is that they knew this was going to be hard enough without making mis mistakes uh, uh, based on um, a lack of insight about their own their, their own control control needs. Excellent. What was one of the most surprising things that you learned in doing these interviews? I mean, you did fifty-two. You, you wrote about fifty-two. Did you do hundreds more or, or many more? Was fifty-two was were the number of subjects that you interviewed? Uh, well, lots of things were surprising, but I, I think, having already alluded to the, the ability to do three or four things at once and keep keep those plates spinning, which was a phrase that was uh, used frequently, um, was was very powerfully projected. Uh, so well, it's I, a strong I, visual too of having somebody keeping the plates spinning, right? Yeah. Because it takes yeah. a lot. It takes a lot to, to to do that. You see that in the circus, right? You see that on on stage, yeah. and um, that's a very it's a very powerful visual that they have. Hey everyone, Mark and I are really excited about a special feature we have coming up about the rise and the challenges of this technology transportation company that has literally changed the world. It experienced explosive growth, but had constant controversy, making it one of the most fascinating companies to emerge over the past two decades. The firm, which was founded back in 2009, soon grew to become one of the highest valued private startup companies in the world. And yet its leadership, culture, and business practices have all been called into question, and the brand itself 
has been under seemingly constant attack. Join us as we explore the rise, the challenges of this technology transportation company, we've all used it, and the leaders who are now trying to save it today. Join us as we discuss the rise and fall of Uber Technologies. So uh, managing so much at once, definitely. Um, I think also very powerfully coming across is an awareness. And, and what if in the interview, you, there was no bragging. Mm-hmm. There was no, uh, look at me, look how important, look how successful, look I'm worth 100 million, isn't that great? Right. None of that at all. In fact, you pro- I'd probably get to the end of an interview and uh, I've got the story, but I have no idea just, you know, what, what are we talking about here financially? Right. <laughs> I'd have to ask, and they'd be quite reluctant to talk about. Not many would talk about how much money they'd made or how much money they'd lost or, or whatever. So very, very, um, very modest, uh, very assertive, but in an incredibly, but very polite. So you'd walk away from those interviews and think, uh, yeah, you want to stay on the right side of this. <laughs> oh, so very assertive, but not aggressive. Not oh, yeah. aggressive. Oh, yeah. um, so, I, so did that surprise me? Well, yes, I suppose it did, really, um, because it was it was so common across across the piece that yes, it did surprise me. Let me ask you this: Did um, you know we, we've we've interviewed uh, several female um, leaders in male dominated industries, especially the financial sector, the wealth management sector, um, certain other ones, right? Um, did you find anything uh, about different industries that they were in that was of any significance or did that not really play into it? Because they were successful across the board in almost all different sectors, weren't they? Uh, they're, they're successful across the board. Uh, I mean, many had failures, some serial failures. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the, I would say they were largely excluded from information and tech technology. So there are very low percentages of female startups uh, in information and, and technology. Um, very few in, in technology. But, yeah, very, yeah. very, very few indeed. So Why is that, do you think? Uh, I think for reasons you've just already, it's an incredibly yeah. male-dominated uh, uh, arena. Uh, but it is beginning to break down. And uh, we have, I would say, a good dozen uh, tech, female tech uh, entrepreneurs. And, and the great thing is that <clears throat> as these people will become successful, they start to uh, come forward as investors. And so this thing will ratchet up very quickly as the numbers uh, and proportion of women uh, as investors uh, in, increases. And that's beginning to beginning to happen. So sec- sector-wise, um, a lot in uh, hospitality, uh, in uh, female products of one sort or another, and then others uh, in engineering. Um, I mean, a good example of a, of a tech tech start, startup is Kate Andrews and her brother, who founded Loco Two, um, ah. which, which is a uh, service by which you could you could book trains across nations. At one time, you'd have to go to Germany to the German train company to SNCF in Society Nationale. From Antifair in France and so on and so forth, and now you could you could put your way from here uh, or Los Angeles to Delhi in on, on in one transaction. And the great thing about so that was one good tech story. It's also a great illustration of uh, what characterizes quite a few of these businesses, 
which is that they marry both a commercial pursuit um, and a social pursuit. So in that one, uh, Kate and her brother um, were very were brought up to think about low carbon, and that's the name of their company, Logo Two, Logo, Low Carbon Two. Um, so there's a, a neat marriage between the social concern uh, and I think and sustainability and making some money uh, and providing a, a good service as well. So that that came out as quite a strong beacon, I think, uh, throughout the book. Excellent, excellent. So, um, Mark, are you on? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah, absolutely. I've been asking questions away, so you, you, you can feel free to go ahead and ask. No, I'm, I'm curious. Sorry, I was having some technical issues there. Um, as you were speaking, one thing that, that kind of um, sparked in my mind was, you know, what, what got you started down this path? Was it because of your mom in the countryside and, and what she endured? Or was there a certain event that maybe happened to her or with you that, that got you down this path? How did that start? It, I think it was what, it was the, um, the reflection of the comparison of, of my mother's experience and the expertise and determination that she brought to bear. And uh, at the same time, I was getting to know more and more female entrepreneurs coming across them um, and seeing the crossover. Uh, between between the two, so I think that was the inspiration, and, and I think uh, as I met more and more of the of the female entrepreneurs and listened to their listened to their stories informally at first, I thought there's a great story to be told here, but both to encourage to encourage other women uh, who've never thought about starting a business uh, or felt in some way um, sort of out of bounds uh, that she, that the, the the barriers are just too great. So the idea is to put a spotlight on and say. Anybody can do this, and what's more, at any age or any stage. And in fact, we've got one of them uh, who was in their 60s before she started up uh, her new business and, and is now uh, flourishing. So, and the youngest uh, at the time of interviewing was just 11 and uh, had already established herself as a film producer and a film as, and a, as a film actor. So it was really it was admiration, admiration for, for what my mother had done uh, and admiration for this growing pool of fantastic talent. And also, it was a, a reflection that, um, you know, quite a lot of these women, they, they start up, a catalyst for startup was finding themselves in a very male-dominated work culture where you're expected to go for breakfast, go for dinner, have stuff at the weekend uh, with little flexibility uh, and until COVID, um, homeworking being pretty much frowned upon and uh, presenteeism being a hallmark of many male, not all, but many male work, workplaces. So quite a few determine we're going to go off and create a flexible workplace uh, that women and men uh, will be feel comfortable to to work just as hard but at a time and a place uh, of, of their choosing so it's a very strong that was a very strong uh, catalyst another another very strong catalyst is uh, and associated with that is okay time to start a family but I can't do it here because in this corporate setting because it's just going to be too difficult uh, I shall have to go out and do it myself uh, and organize my life so that I can do both. Right, right, exactly. I'm really curious, um, with your tremendous amount of research into female entrepreneurship and the exposure to some really great female leaders that you've had, do you notice a, a common trait between any of them? Is there a shared trait uh, that these leaders and entrepreneurs have? I, I think, I don't know whether it's a trait or a capability, but I think a bottomless well of energy on the one hand, um, and an absolute 
determination. But therein lies a bit of a, a, a bit of a paradox, because uh, they're also very aware that um, if I just follow follow my determination absolutely ruthlessly, uh, I may not I may overlook stuff. So these very determined people also what they what do they do? They take time out uh, to um, reflect on where they're going. They suspend the determined tigress uh, for enough period to say, uh, am I just going so fast in this direction that actually I've I've, I've missed the turning? <laughs> I should have turned off way back. So uh, people, talk <laughs> right. about, people talk about uh, what Ronald Heifetz, a Harvard guy you probably know, mm -hmm. uh, spoke about uh, taking a leader and the, the difference between a manager and a leader is that a leader takes time to rise up off the operational shop floor to the balcony uh, above in order to look out for threats and opportunities and potential changes of direction that they need to make and actually build it into their schedules. And it could be walking the park, it could be walking around the garden, uh, it could be stopping to listen to music, but it's, 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 it could be in the gym. But it's having, having that perspicacity to, yes, be determined, but actually have a, a, a self-critical uh, look at oneself and one's direction uh, on a frequent, a frequent basis. That's fantastic. So what, I, what I'm gonna suggest at this point, let's take a break. Let's do brand culture trivia UK version. And oh, then, and then, which means Mark is really, really gonna do well. And, <laughs> and then, cause Mark was just texting me, John, going, how are we gonna do trivia? He's not gonna know our American products. I'm like, dude, we're doing the UK version. You don't think I have an internet? And I, um, I have the UK version of brand culture trivia. So I'm kind of excited about it. And then, um, but then I want to get back and I really want to ask you uh, kind of about what drives you and kind of why you wrote this book. And I know your mother is a driving factor and I get that, absolutely. Um, my family molded me, right? It's it's what shaped me and my, my life experiences. Um, but I'm curious about, you know, um, how it, um, why you went so far as to even write a book just on female leadership. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm curious about that. And then also we're having a, uh, a female leader summit in 2021. And I would love for you to be part of that because I think that your insight in that would be uh, fantastic. When, when is that again? We're, we're going to do it after the, after the new year. And, and okay. we're going to have several of our prior guests be on and we're going to do some panels. We're going to have some questions, right. things like right. that. So I'd like to get your feedback on that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so, it's so fascinating to us because um, we're, you know, just literal students of, of entrepreneurship, right? That's what Mark and I, that's why we've created this podcast. It allows us to meet great entrepreneurs and the most interesting ones, hands down with a few exceptions, but the most interesting ones are the female entrepreneurs because there's just so many more obstacles that they've accomplished and they don't even, they're like, yeah, of course, but that was just part of it. It's like, like, yeah. of course I had to do that, but I had to get to where I needed to get to. And it's just, it's just, it's just fantastic. And, you know, Mark and I can be in a room and be grumpy and they just think we're being men, but a woman does, a, a, a woman does that and they're, they think she's a bitch and they think that that's a bad thing then. And I'm like, no, they're just standing up for themselves. Right. It's just a, it's just a matter of that. So, all right. So let's, let's take a break and let's do a little brand culture trivia UK version. And we're going to uh, play the intro right now. And then we're going to come back. Ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. 
Welcome everyone to Brand Culture Trivia, where the points don't matter, but the brand does. In this segment, we play a trivia game against our guest. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, along with my co-host, David Morrow. David, tell us about the rules and the awesome prizes. Absolutely, the rules are as follows. You get to guess as fast as you can. You get as many answers as you want, and the first one to give the right answer wins a point. The first contestant to three points wins the game. What do you get if you win? Glad you asked. You get 14,684 Brandology bucks. What is that worth? Those are absolutely worthless, but we might send you a sticker for playing. So let's get started with brand culture trivia. David, why don't you spin the wheel of trivia and see what our first question is? All right, here I go. It is a heavy, heavy wheel. Some of the, the, the top ones that stand out for the, the brands, uh, Lock & Company and Dunhill, and oh, who's the firearm manufacturer. Um, and you have uh, William & Son, um, Holland & Holland, that's another one, and the Diamonds, uh, Boodle. So yeah, so yeah I've, I've got some. Okay, so I just made sure that I won't ask any of those. So <laughs> I just want to make sure that, that okay, so we're going to do start with question one. Now, John, answer as many questions as you can, as fast as you can. For, for example, I mean, as, say as many answers as fast as you can. For example, if you're going to guess an automobile manufacturer, mention Honda, Mazda, Chevrolet, whatever. Like, just j- just don't guess one because then Mark might guess one or the other. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state um, the brand, the slogan, and then you guys tell me what company it is right for example just do it would be nike right something like that right that type of thing so uh, this is the uk version but there are many that are that mark should know so i'm going to start off pretty easy one that's known in both uh on both sides of the pond for question number one i'm going to state the slogan you tell me what the name of the product or the company is it gives you wings is you wings land rover Oh, it gives you wings. Now you are. It, it is a drink. Hint, oh. it is a drink. It gives you wings. Glenn Levitt. No, and not the Glenn vodka. Levitt. Not, not, not our vodka either. It gives you wings. I haven't a clue. <laughs> okay. I'm going to hold that question. It is Red Bull. Red Bull gives you wings. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. We're going to keep, not too, keep going. not too old for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, right? Raises my blood pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder. I have. I don't know this brand, so maybe John has. has, has, has this is going to be another drink. Another drink. What a difference a shake makes. Sonic. What a difference a shake makes. Glenn Levitt. <laughs> no. Glenn Fittich. No. I, <laughs> I don't even know the I don't even know the the brand, but I'm hoping that 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 John would know it. What a difference a shake makes. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on one. It is Yazoo. Yazoo. Uh, is yeah, that even a thing over there? I don't even know. No, I've heard of it, but not, <laughs> okay. Not, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go. Or right, we're gonna switch to large retailers. Okay, large retailers over in the UK. That's helpful. That's blank. That's they've all gone bust. I know. That's helpful. (laughs) (laughs) That's helpful. That's bankruptcy. Um, (laughs) I knew I'd be crap at this. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay. I'm trying to make them. 
I know Mark is always bad as well, so. Oh, Turnbull and Asher. Good guess. <laughs> They're actually, yeah. Good guess. The answer is the answer is Halfords. That's helpful. That's Halfords. Yeah, and I'm, a, I'm, a customer. Uh, I'm a customer of theirs, and um, it's a really good company. Very high employee satisfaction. So here, here's, here's, here's one that's well known over there. It's priceless. There are some things money can't buy. This is a banking brand. Priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's blank. Glenn Levitt. Is it noon yet? Oh my god. The there are some things money can't uh, buy. For everything else, there's it's banking, Mark, not Glenn Levitt. Jaguar? No. It's banking. Banking. <laughs> oh like banking. Credit cards. Like credit cards. And you're a, a British institution. It is. It's international, huh. though. Actually, it's. There are some things money can't buy. Here's the answer. For everything else, there's Mastercard. Oh. Oh no. All yeah. right. Let me try this one. Healthcare and cosmetics. The best. Where are you? The best a man can get. Gillette. Burberry. Yes. Burberry. What did you say, Mark? Yes. What did you say? Burberry. 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 Burberry is a the the coats. Yeah. Right. With the with the plaid with the plaid great classic look is absolutely yeah. nothing yeah. to do with shaving. It has nothing to do with shaving. Yeah. Completely different industry. But the score is one to nothing, Mark. He's beating you. And for the record, John, that question has been asked numerous times, and Mark has missed that question every single time. <laughs> Okay, so the score is one nothing. Mobile phones. Mobile phones are quite big over there, right? Indeed. Yeah. Um, the future is bright. The future is orange. Orange. Wow. Holy oh, cow. Oh, wow. That was, I didn't even get it out of my mouth. Okay, we found, <laughs> we found something that across the pond okay let's keep it's two to nothing mark you know what that means uh oh uh oh i'm at feeling pressure point, at this point it, it, mark if you had a hundred thousand times as many points as you had right now mr smythe would still be winning it's a hundred thousand <laughs> times zero is still zero okay let's keep going ultimate driving machine range rover nope good guess is this an english mark or a any it's, a, it's uh actually Bavarian. But it's over near uh, you, farther from BM, BMW? Yes, and we have a winner. Congratulations. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was a long All battle. All right, John. Okay. That was a long battle. I'll tell you that was a long battle. But I mean yes. that was quite good. Excellent, excellent work. You are the winner. John of fourteen thousand eight hundred and sixty-four brandology bucks. So are, I can't even tell you what the exchange rate is for the, the British pound or whatever the euro dollar, or whatever anybody uses over there now. But I'm telling you, 
uh, it's you're going to be set for life. But let's get back to what we were uh, what what we what we were talking about. I mean, I, I'm I'm very curious about um, uh, kind of why you decided to kind of write about that. You know, why about female entrepreneurs? There's so many things to 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 write about. What what drove you to do it? What's what's your purpose? Your why, as Simon Sinek would say. Well, I, I, I'd say actually is a, a powerful sense of irritation that it's so hard for female entrepreneurs to uh, establish themselves uh, because of the the male-dominated work culture. Uh, so it was a, a sense of wanting to help um, the little person in, in this context uh, who's been so dominated by another gender. Um, and, and I just thought, however small a contribution, it's got to be worth it's got to be worth doing. And more importantly, um, uh, as we went through the 52, it was such an, uh, an inspirational experience. Uh, it's like a drug, you know. It's, um, when's the next one? I can't wait to get my next fix of <laughs> success story. Uh, so it moved from irritation to wow, this is uh, this is this is really fun, and hopefully it will help some 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 people. And not just females, males, males as well, who for some reason also feel that, they're, they're, that they're, it's hard for them to start up. So that, that, that would be my, it moved therefore from a negative to a, a massive positive of enjoyment of doing it. But, but it got to the point where having analysed um, what we felt the main themes were separately, Ruth and I that is, um, I had a period thinking, my God, we've interviewed 52 women. Uh, we promised them a book shortly. Now we've got to write this thing, and right. suddenly, suddenly, I got a very large, powerful dose of imposter syndrome, <laughs> which, of course, is one of the things that came <laughs> strongly out. And I suddenly realised, oh, I haven't had this before. <laughs> it took me that that, that at that point, I, I was able to pick up the phone to Ruth and say, um, say something encouraging because I'm uh, so the, the laptop just I can't type, but. Uh, that, that, that conversation then kind of liberated me to get on with it. <laughs> everybody, awesome. should, everybody should experience imposter syndrome at least once and serially if, they, if they're required. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, whenever, I mean, I think that's common among across all industries, right? Whenever somebody is in charge of a pretty monumental task, everybody kind of asks themselves, why me? Like, I'm still a kid at heart, right? Like, I can't believe they're trusting me to do this, or I can't believe they're expecting me to do this. And then you kind of start to have self-doubt. Um, but then you yeah. overcome, and, but then you overcome it, you deliver an excellent book, right? Well, you want to hope so. Yeah. Uh, I, I was always impressed when I interviewing CEOs in a consultancy mode, and the ones you got to know a bit, uh, male and female, would would admit to having these doubts over major decisions like having to make people redundant and uh, and, and so on and so forth so everybody gets everybody has doubt mm -hmm. <laughs> it's how do you deal with it is the question <laughs> absolutely um let me ask you what you know what kind of things did you did your career that that happened in your career that kind of led you to to seeking out writing this book and doing these interviews like what 
where was your career going that where where you where, where you said this needs done I, I think it was having a bit more time as my consultancy work began to tail off um, and spending more time with um, with female entrepreneurs and male entrepreneurs by the way as well uh, mm -hmm. over here and giving them time in an advisory capacity uh, for uh, we paid no fee just doing it for the, the hell of it and the fun of it and uh, and and the sense of helping somebody move on and I, I think that was a just sitting down and listening to these people, uh, listening to their their monthly trade figures and you know, uh, and all the all the dangers and threats that they were facing, and thinking and remembering, having having been through that myself <laughs> on many occasions. But this time I had no I had no risk, but I could, I knew how they felt. So it just made me feel, you know, this this uh, this needs to be written to to help other people, uh, and to yeah, and and to say look, you know, feeling doubt and. Uh, and having to make these, sometimes these terrible decisions, we all have to do this, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so I, I think it was making the experience of starting and growing a business with all the good things that happen and all the terrific challenges, making that overt so that people who start out for the first time are not expecting a kind of easy run at it. There is no easy run. I mean, actually, if you look at some of these 52, um, made some of them take years to break a profit. So there's, right. a, there's an outfit over here called Mumsnet, run by Justine Roberts. It took them eight years uh, to uh, to turn a profit. Um, and, you know, eight years where you struggle, struggle. A lot of people would give up. And I think there's a real hallmark of here. You've got to be patient as well as determined. And actually finding that balance between patience and determination is, again, a hallmark uh, of, of probably males versus female entrepreneurs, but certainly female entrepreneurs. Hey, Mark, are you excited about this uh, 2021 Female Leadership Summit? Oh, David, this is going to be incredible. I can't wait. I am I am really pumped about it. The 2021 Brandology Female Leadership Summit is going to be your opportunity to access a wealth of leadership insight from a world-class faculty we've put together, ready to equip and inspire you regardless of your field or industry. Yeah, so each chosen leader will provide a short you know, five to 10 minute presentation on culture, on leadership and practical ways to help you succeed. Um, there will also be a panel discussion on hot topics. Uh, the belief female leadership matters is more important today than ever before. Absolutely. That's why the 2021 Brandology Female Leadership Summit will give you access to this unique group of world-class faculty who will share their distinct perspectives, inspiring and equipping you with practical skills you can use right away. So don't miss the 2021 Female Leadership Summit only on Brandology Podcast. So subscribe and download the episodes to be notified of this upcoming event. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. And, and you can't think that after you know, one or two or three years of not even turning a profit, that that's failure. It's just yeah. a process, right? You you yeah. know, I mean, I always think of Thomas Edison and other inventors, you know, they're only known for the ones that worked, but any yeah. inventor has thousands and tens of thousands of things that blow up on them, literally and figuratively, before they actually hit it, hit the mark. And so, yeah, I'm like, we'd still be sitting in the dark. Mark would be over there still trying to get online. Like he wouldn't even be able to have <laughs> That's exactly right. You know? 
So let me just ask you this about what are some of the things that you noticed from these 52 entrepreneurs about what they felt about the best type of culture? Because you mentioned that they were humble. Then you mentioned that they had, you know, people first view or that you had that. Um, what did you notice about them? Did they have good cultures? Were some of them, were, were they not about healthy cultures? My, my sense is that they probably have, they, they, they tended to have very positive cultures. Well, I alluded to uh, before, but um, the, the, the culture of, of uh, flexibility um, and understanding that people have, you know, some of these people in my employ might be working here, might be working somewhere else, might be looking after family, maybe looking after parents, um, and they're, they're juggling all these these balls, all these these spinning plates. But also, I think another thing that came across is that a lot of them spent time talking about uh, the power of politeness. In other words, in their firms, whilst being uh, assertive where it's necessary, of course, and, and disciplined where, where it's necessary, but also being knowing just how encouraging uh, courtesy and politeness, the power of politeness, uh, really does bring help to bring the best out in people. It gives people confidence uh, and, and so on. So I, I think there's a hallmark of politeness, courtesy and, and very powerful feedback and, and also uh, celebration, but not celebration in the sense of Hey, look at us, aren't we great? Celebration of, look what we've all done, isn't that great? Hesitate to make the the comparison that maybe that's a difference between male and female entrepreneurs. I don't know, it's just a question. No, that's 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 insightful, and that's right along the lines of, of kind of what, what we pictured, what we imagined. So as we wrap up here, thank you so much for your time. Um, Mark, do you, or, do you want to ask the question that you always ask? Yes, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I did have something on my mind before we started recording and started the podcast. You had mentioned, you know, traveling the uh, the English countryside and where you were today uh, this morning. And um, is there any one location or any one spot? Maybe as you traveled with your mom in in your younger years, is there any one location that really stands out that that you still get excited thinking about returning to? Yeah, the depths of uh, the, the French countryside. Hmm. Where she would, she would, love, she would love to go uh, and have a glass of wine and eat some nice French food. So many memories of, of, uh, of, of Brittany. So yes. Now that sounds uh, <laughs> that that paints a beautiful picture right now. Actually, I would kind of uh, like to be there myself at this moment. So I, I, well, I thank you add, so much for sharing. <laughs> I, I just I, I might add just one other. It's also in France, but as a as a young young guy, I used to organise pilgrimages to Lourdes uh, in, the, in the south of France and mm -hmm. I took my mother on several occasions so I, I would that would be a close run second or co-equal. <laughs> That's fantastic. Let me ask you this when you were when you were growing up what did you want to be? A pilot like my dad. Ah wonderful. Wow. I, I, wow. I, I, was, a, I was a pilot so uh, uh, not not commercial but I, I learned to fly. I, I went to seek, seek my father in the clouds. Oh, that's a wow. wonderful story. That's, that's really great. cool. It was it was great, uh, but now uh, I've I've stopped because um, I felt I've done that. I found I found him, and yes. I don't need to fly. I don't exactly. need to fly anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, my, my, yeah, that's fantastic. My dad was an entrepreneur, and that's kind of why uh -huh. I'm so fascinated by it. And yeah. instead, I'm stuck with Mark. So, I mean, we all don't get what we want. <laughs> yeah, look what that got you. That's the, look lesson, what that got you. the lesson that we all learned. So, uh, John, thank you so much for your time. We will definitely, this is definitely yeah, our uh, last uh, conversation. And um, we will definitely do uh, um, uh, brand trivia again. We'll make it more exciting and we will do it. I want I want a rematch. I want a rematch. And, uh, <laughs> no, we will be in touch again when we talk about that uh, uh, the, the female leadership yeah. summit uh, coming up um, toward toward the holidays. So uh, look, okay. look 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 to hear from us again and we wish you all the best and stay in touch. Thank you for your time and, and thank you for inviting me. Thank uh, you so much. Uh, Thanks, bye yeah. bye. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you. Mark and I want to take a moment and thank everyone that listens and subscribes to our podcast. It means a lot. We're truly trying to make this one that we ourselves would find interesting and find entertaining. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for subjects, great brands that have risen and fallen, great case studies, or fantastic guests that you'd like to see, please reach out to us. Brandology Podcast Staff at gmail.com. That's Brandology Podcast Staff at gmail.com. Hey, David, that was another great episode. We tend to post one or two a week. Uh, unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe. Turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening.